One of my first jobs as a teenager was working at Food Line in Blowing Rock. I worked with two of my best friends there as a bag boy. Now, I have to tell you, it wasn't a glamorous job. It involved more than just bagging groceries and bringing in grocery carts. We had to clean the restrooms regularly. We had to sweep and mop the whole store. And we were responsible for blocking the aisles, which meant that we had to fill the holes on the shelves where the product was so that it was flush and presentable whenever you would come down the aisles. Now, I ended up working at Food Lion for eight years, actually, all the way through high school and all the way through college. While I was at college, I would work at the one that used to exist in Black Mountain, North Carolina, and then on my breaks, I would come home and work here in Blowing Rock. I enjoyed working with most of the employees, but I have to be honest with you, it was not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. In all my years working there, I bagged groceries, I ran the cash register, I stocked the shelves, I helped in produce, and I even filled in as an assistant manager when I was needed. I remember working late at night, stocking the shelves at about 4 a.m. in the morning and thinking to myself, I can't wait to graduate from college and get a real job. My work with Foodline was a motivator to get my degree and to make something of myself. Now, just to be clear, I didn't look down upon any employee there, nor my managers who ran the stores. I had utmost respect for them. I just didn't want that to be the job that I had for the rest of my life. Because it's hard work, and it comes also with very little pay. And I didn't consider grocery work to be an important career decision for me. Now, truth be told, most college students pursuing degrees aren't necessarily looking to get jobs at fast food restaurants or grocery stores when they graduate. They want to pursue something greater, something more meaningful, and something that will pay them well. While I didn't want to work in a grocery store, I had no idea that God would be leading me into ministry. It was not what I had planned for myself, or I had intended to pursue sports medicine and to work for a large university or with a professional sports organization, but God had other plans. I find it's funny what we value, isn't it? We live in a society and in a culture that values some things above others. When it comes to careers and what we would choose to do, most often we value presidents or CEOs of big businesses over being a janitor. We value being an attorney over working with waste management. We value being a celebrity or a professional athlete, an actress, or maybe even a news anchor over being a grocery store employee. In our own minds, we determine what is invaluable and what is not. And most often, we consider the positions that come with power and prestige and great pay to be of greater worth. Ironically, this was also the same thought process in the first century. Our scripture reading today from 1 Corinthians reminds us that this way of thinking has been around for a very long time. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to those in the church in Corinth who have the same mindset. Yet our passage today has much to say about what's invaluable. In other words, what's beyond estimation or what we consider to be priceless. Now, Paul's message is not about careers outside of the church. Rather, he's speaking about what's invaluable within the church. 
Now, Paul uses a common metaphor found in classical literature, but he radically changes the accepted train of thought to enlighten the church to live differently. He says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. His message is quite simple, actually. The church is made up of many individuals that form one body held together by the same spirit. Those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior have been baptized into the faith, and the Spirit of God, who is with us forever, is empowering us to live and to follow Christ daily. Now, a body has many members. It's not composed of just one part, but many. This is not a radical thought process that existed in his day. Everyone knew that there was diversity in their society, but this diversity also had social boundaries that segregated them. For instance, slaves were subject to their masters and they had no real social status. Women were subject to their husbands in a patriarchal society. There were also classes of citizens, blue-collar workers, for instance, farmers or fishermen and grunt workers, in comparison to those who held high positions in the military, or those who had prominent businesses, or those who served in political offices. There was a hierarchy that existed, and everyone knew their place within it. You see, being invaluable was not based on what you did day to day but how important you were in society. For instance, the brain can be viewed as an important organ, much greater than the appendix. You don't need an appendix, but you can't live without a brain. Thus, the appendix just needs to be grateful that it exists and that the brain is handling everything else. This was the train of thought in Paul's day, and the same concepts began to infiltrate into the church. But Paul takes this and he turns it upside down. He takes this thought process of the brain being essential and the appendix being non-essential to a whole new level. He says this, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed in the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. According to Paul, every part is essential. Every part is invaluable. That's why he says that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Paul says that in Christ, every individual is important. That everyone is invaluable to being a part of the body together. This went against the grain of the societal norm that elevated some and then degraded others. 
According to Paul, the church must be different, although he recognizes that the church can allow this outside thinking to infiltrate how we act, too. His message is centered on the concept that God has called us, that God has claimed us, and that God empowers us to be his people. Now, last week, Steve preached a sermon saying that we are invited, that we're invited by Jesus, sinful as we are, to receive his grace. And in receiving his grace, we are reminded that we are invaluable to him, and therefore, he empowers us to live as faithful disciples together in the church. Yet, there are times in the church that some regard themselves as more important, more gifted, more valuable, and act as if they don't need someone else to help them. They can take ownership of a ministry, forgetting that ministry is not ours anyway, but God's, and God's work to be shared. They forget that the body is made up of many parts and not just one. And I find that this behavior can cripple someone who desires to contribute what they can to work together as the body. But if they are told that they're not needed, well, then they feel useless and they can start to believe that they aren't valuable as a member of the body of Christ. And then there are others who simply don't think that they have anything valuable to give. And they look at others in the church that have gifts of teaching or preaching or singing or just making things happen, and they feel inadequate because they can't do those things. And so they choose to remain on the sidelines, watching from a distance, while all the players line up on the field and begin to play the game. You see, Paul is very aware that this is going on in the church, and so he writes to correct it so that the church can live into its divine calling to glorify God together. In fact, Jesus reminds us in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, he tells us this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You see, Jesus is very clear that we're invaluable to him, for we were created in God's image. And Jesus left the glory of heaven to pursue us, to invite us, and to call us into his grace. And our value is not based on our social status. It's not based on our gender or our race or how talented we are or what we have to offer God. We are invaluable because we belong to him. He alone defines our value in this world, not anything else. Therefore, every person is invaluable to God. And every person who professes faith in Jesus Christ has been given spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. And Paul argues that there is no gift that is more important than any other. Now, in Corinth, Many believe that speaking in tongues was the gift above all gifts, and that if you had this gift, then you were superior to others in your discipleship. It's kind of like the difference between a squirt gun and a super soaker. You see, a squirt gun can still shoot water out of it, but not like a super soaker can. And those who spoke in tongues, they looked at the other members of the church as less than because they possessed the super-soaker spiritual gift. 
But Paul dispels this myth. And he reminds everyone that this line of thinking is no different than what they are accustomed to outside of the church, and that there's no place for that within the walls of the church. He is clear that God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. God doesn't want everyone to have the same gifts. He gives different gifts that are all important to be used together as his church. In God's eyes, no one is more important than someone else. Every single one of us is invaluable to God. That's why Paul reiterates, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus gives three parables that many of us are familiar with. Parables that remind us of how invaluable we are to God The first is the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the prodigal son. In each of these parables, which come together back to back to back, we are reminded and told about the rejoicing of God and all of the angels in heaven when the lost are found. Each parable points us to a pursuing God who refuses to leave us lost and alone. And truth be told, that's the good news of the gospel. And once we've been found, once we've been saved, once we've been claimed and equipped, we are then called by God to contribute together as a team called the church. Many of you know that I played basketball growing up, and to me there's nothing greater than being part of a team. Of course, tryouts are the hardest because not everyone makes the team. For those who do, each player has a role to play. Some are great shooters, others rebound the ball well, some are great defenders or shot blockers, and others run the offense and protect the ball. But only five players can play at a time, and the coach is in charge of who plays and and when a decision is made to substitute players off the bench. Now, it is true that sometimes the bench players rarely get to play, and they can often be viewed as scrubs or practice players. That's really unfortunate because they wouldn't be on the team if they weren't capable of helping the team win. Now, some coaches refuse to play their bench players at all, while others intentionally use them at just the right time. Yet when it comes to the church, when it comes to our lives in Christ, When it comes to being disciples of Jesus, we have a coach who doesn't cut anyone from being on the team. In fact, God's bench is pretty deep. And our coach intends for everyone to get playing time, contributing his or her skills and gifts to participate in God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And it's also important to know that there are no all-stars or most valuable players on God's team. Every single player is essential to the task at hand with differing gifts that will help carry the team to victory. This means that we're not called to be ball hogs, nor are we called to be content sitting on the bench. You see, I find this to be an interesting moment in time for all of us. Those things that we've always considered to be the most valuable, maybe they seem a little less valuable now. I didn't want to work in a grocery store the rest of my life. I didn't consider it to be a valuable job. And yet in the midst of a globalized pandemic, 
Nothing could be more invaluable. The same is true for many other professions we've so often taken for granted. Our thought process has been turned upside down. And honestly, it's a good thing that it has. Every person in every profession is essential during this uncertain time. And truth be told, every Christian, every member of the body of Christ is essential too. We are invaluable to God, and now more than ever, we are invaluable to others who desperately need to know God's continued love and presence during these trying times together. The truth is, we're not all called to be preachers. We're not all called to be teachers. We're not all called to be apostles or healers. But some are. And those who are must use their gifts given by God to continue to proclaim His great love. But you know, others are called to be encouragers to those who are depressed and lonely. Others are called to be prayer warriors for those who need a renewed strength. Others are called to give generously to provide for the needs of those who are struggling. Others are called to offer gracious hospitality to the downtrodden. And yet others are called to comfort the afflicted and to be a loving presence to those who grieve. Some are called to check on their neighbor, to write a note of gratitude to someone who works an essential job in this stressful time, letting them know that they're loved and appreciated, or maybe even to share Christ's love and grace with someone who has been overwhelmed by fear and doubt. Whatever gift God has given you, it's meant to be used. For God has called us by name, He's called us off the bench and he's called us into the game to contribute with the skills that he has empowered us to share. Not just for us, but for the benefit of others and unto his glory. Having just celebrated the good news of Easter together, I want to remind you of the words of the risen Jesus to the eleven disciples in John's gospel when he first appeared to them. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I am sending you. You are invaluable to Jesus. We are invaluable to Jesus. And he has called us and now sends us to get into the game together. And we must refuse the temptation to be ball hogs, but we must also refuse the temptation to be content sitting on the bench. Instead, let us use whatever gifts we have been given to bless the lives of others and to serve Christ faithfully in whatever way we are able, so that others may also know that they too are invaluable to God. So friends, let us do so with joy both this day and forevermore together as God's church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.